Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we have a new admin. All hail the admin, Joshua Boucher. Joshua Boucher has been a listener of the other stories for, well, I could only assume since the beginning of time. He has now taken over as admin of the Hawk and Readers Facebook book club. So join me in welcoming Joshua to the TOS Towers, helping us to make cool stuff and talk about cool stuff. And as first act of acting admin, Joshua Boucher has chosen to launch a nuclear strike on the moon. And his second act of admin, he's launched to vote for our September book reads. So if you'd like to join an easy breezy book club reading the best genre fiction this side of an exploding moon, then come to the Facebook group today and introduce yourselves at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hawk and Cleaver. Joshua looks forward to seeing you there. So today's episode is The Machine of the Flame Beasts, written by Daniel Lauren Keating and narrated by Persephone Rose. When Shai asked Poith, leader of the Sharuf Collective, first heard about the box, he knew that his organization had to have the device at all costs. Information at that point on the nature of the device was slim. Found in the wreckage of a corporate exploratory spacecraft in the asteroid belt, the device was simple, a half-foot cubed with no moving parts, and yet it glowed and radiated heat, constantly 10 degrees hotter than the ambient temperature in the room. 
readjusting itself by some unknown means to make that heat generated constant. Over the next two years, while the box was studied by Dr. Brenender Narr and his team at the University of Barn, Poeth and his people planned their theft of the box from their stronghold. For this most vital mission, Poeth chose the best of his followers. Spalize, 35, a veteran of the Russian-Ukrainian proxy war in the Donbas War near Donsk, Branirdiet, formerly an installation artist who was wanted in Scandinavia for arson for installation art that had simply consisted of setting buildings on fire, and a Pakistani man of few words and no known age who would only sign his name in Urdu. With the three men on their mission, Poeth convened the Circle of the Fiery Faithful in the main chamber of the stronghold where they passed around the Baton of Endurance, a stick of corrugated steel a couple of feet long heated over a fire. As the team had to travel to and from their destination, the vigil lasted three days. Half of the participants collapsed from exhaustion, hunger, or both. Poeth was unconcerned. He'd been a number of things in the course of his life, an insurance salesman, manager of a sneaker warehouse, line cook at a restaurant, even a street sweeper. His spiritual awakening, he told everyone, had come when a fire destroyed the building he was living in. He'd watched his neighbor, an elderly man with dementia, burn to death. The man, according to Poeth, who honestly believed in what he was saying, had laughed with joy the whole time. He did nothing to prepare for the team's arrival back except to grasp the baton of endurance when it was passed to him, barely feeling the metal sear his calloused, scabbed flesh, numb from years of similar rituals. The team entered the chamber in dramatic fashion, throwing open both twenty-foot-tall doors at the end of the main chamber opposite the gathering. The main chamber of the stronghold, located at its exact center, meaning there were no windows, was roughly half as long and as wide as an American football field. The floors, wall, and ceilings were made from gray concrete. Three dozen braziers were set into the walls at about 25 feet up, requiring a ladder to relight them whenever one went out. Zay came through first, holding a brown burlap sack over one shoulder. He was leading a man, his face covered by a similar sack, his hands bound at the wrists. The man wore a tousled gray and green suit, a stark contract to Zay's black sweater, black slacks, and black combat boots. Behind them came the Pakistani, carrying near Diet. The Swede's feet dragged behind him as the Pakistani pulled him in. For the first time, Poeth realized something might be wrong. What happened? Say advanced, yanking on the cord he carried that attached the bound man's hands. Everything went fine until Bran tried to pick up the box. The Ukrainian spit, a bad habit that Poeth had considered trying to break before accepting it as a less-than-malleable and ultimately irrelevant trait of the man's character. As soon as he touched it, his eyes rolled into the back of his head and he dropped like a shot. Zay stepped over someone who'd passed out hours previous, then guided the captive around the fallen body. Alarm went off, too. The doctor is the only one who responded before we were out. Figured we'd take him with us so he can explain what happened to Bran. Poeth clasped his burnt hands together and smiled. Very wise of you, Brother Say. He extended one hand, palm up and fingers together, pointing at the stranger. You may remove his blindfold, 
There is nothing here that he will see we cannot afford to allow. Zay dropped the cord and grabbed the sack on the man's head. He pulled up and forward. The head and hair of Dr. Brenender Nar flowed out, his face red and ruddy, his hair stringy from sweat. The doctor looked around the toga-clad circle of the fiery faithful. Who the bleeding hell are you people? Hoeth smiled at him. We are those who will never know the bleeding hell of which you speak, doctor. You are in the presence of the most elite of the Sheriff Collective. The fire cult? He squinted at Poeth, his eyes unused to the, as Poeth thought of it, pure light of the fiery braziers. The box? You were taking the box? Took, actually. Zay turned the other burlap sack he'd been carrying upside down and gave it a shake. A box, one cubic foot in size and blacker than anything Poeth had seen, tumbled out. Don't touch. We need to find out first what it did to Bran. On his face, Poeth maintained the radiant smile of the benevolent leader. Internally, he simmered at being told what to do. Or what not to do. The distinction mattered little to him. Of course. He turned his gaze on the Pakistani, who'd stopped outside the circle near Diet's arm thrown over his shoulder. Is he alive? The Pakistani spoke, his voice a high baritone, a contrast with Zay's gruff, deep voice. Yes, he was muttering to himself at first, but then he stopped. The last few hours he's been staring off into space, drooling. Just like Zay and the Pakistani, near Diet wore a simple black outfit. Unlike the other two, he was entirely limp, his head swinging back and forth from being jostled as he was carried. His eyes, normally brown, had turned blue-white and were not blinking. What was he saying? Zay spit again, his face still impassive. Nothing we could identify. He may have been speaking Swedish. The Pakistani looked briefly at the young man he was holding up. He was not speaking Swedish. I do not know the language, but I know that what he was saying was not in it. He's been driven mad. Everyone in the room, including those members of the circle of the fiery faithful who remained conscious, turned to Dr. Nar. What do you know, Doctor? Dr. Nar's gaze was riveted on the box, laying on the floor like little more than a paperweight. Everyone who touches it loses his mind. He looked up at Poeth. It's happened three times so far. Your friend is the fourth. The box overloads the hippocampus and melts the amygdala. He looked away. We believe the box is some sort of memory storage device, but it was built for minds much larger and much greater than ours. That is why it destroys us whenever we try to use it. When he turned back to Poeth, there were tears in his eyes. Every time someone touches it, it emits an omnidirectional tachyon burst. Whoever built the box gets a little closer to finding Earth every time it's used. Please, don't touch it. Whoever constructed this device is not someone we want visiting our world. I do not believe in aliens. With this pronunciation, all eyes turned to Poeth. The members of his congregation recognized his sermon voice. Commanding, authoritative, powerful. I do, however, believe in gods, and moreover, they believe in me. I will know those that built this box, 
and either I will judge them unworthy, or they will judge me worthy. He stepped forward. He'd expected Dr. Nar to try and stop him. Instead, it was the Pakistani who stepped in front of him, after gently dropping near Diet. For a moment, neither man said a word before, impatient, Poeth asked, What? The Pakistani was looking at him as though he'd never seen him before. Are you so powerful you would tame the flame? Poeth tried to reason out an answer to the question before deciding he didn't understand it. Yes, powerful, of course. Please stand aside, brother. Your concern is touching, but unnecessary. Poeth held his breath while the Pakistani stood and watched him. Finally, the man stepped aside and, hastily, Poeth knelt and pressed his hands to the box. Instantly, the room around him exploded out of focus, every surface in his view turning to fire before fading away into darkness. Slowly, small points of light began appearing in the darkness, then swirls of color, stars and nebula gases. He was flying through space at impossible speeds, and yet he could see the universe around him. One point of light in front of him approached and grew larger and larger. He passed through the star's Oort cloud, into the heliosheath, and then past the termination shock, feeling the changes in gravity and relative motion as though through the haze of a strong anesthetic. He flew past planets and moons, a dozen of each. Finally, he slowed as he approached a small world of green and blue. It looked like Earth, except the patterns of lines of the continents were unfamiliar as were the three beasts hovering in space around the world. They were each three times as large as the planet itself and were made of living fire. Their bodies resembled horses, but they had three clawed feet instead of hooves, scorpion tails, and two heads apiece with serrated pincers instead of mouths. All over, they were aflame. Poeth found himself accelerating again, dropping into the planet's atmosphere. There was no heat of re-entry, he simply fell to the planet's surface. As he descended, he began to see evidence of habitation. Buildings made of red-brown metal that was dull to the shining light above, connected by light blue roads. As he descended further, he saw the inhabitants themselves, a species that resembled crabs, but with ten vertically-oriented legs and three horizontally-oriented arms. They did not drive wheeled cars or fly in airplanes, but instead traveled in vehicles with thousands of tiny legs which propelled them. They developed simple spaceflight with chemical rockets, but no computers. Attempts to communicate with the flame beasts had been made to no avail. The crab people did not know what the flame beasts wanted. Without warning, they found out. The flame beasts all moved to envelop the planet, each of them digging in with their fiery claws, incinerating entire cities all at once. As they hugged themselves closer to the world, they burned away its atmosphere in seconds. Those who weren't instantly melted on the planet's surface suffocated in deep bunkers which were unable to recycle air from the surface, as none was left. The few who had brought oxygen-producing plants into the bunkers had it the worst. They lingered feeling the flames encroaching, the heat seeping down into the planet's crust. Many of them committed suicide before the flames could reach them. Those that didn't, burned. Poeth felt it all. 
He felt the instant, shocking deaths of those incinerated in a fraction of a second. He felt the unbelievable pain of having his flesh melted off a billion times over in the manner of those who'd been on the surface but hadn't died instantly. He felt the despair of those in the bunkers as they suffocated and starved and killed themselves and ultimately burned. He felt it when the last life blinked out and the flame beasts, satisfied, let go of the planet, leaving behind a blasted, scarred, airless waste. There were millions more. The flame beasts had done this to millions of worlds across the galaxy for billions of years. All at once, the voices and thoughts and terrors of trillions of dead sentients assaulted Poeth's brain. He heard and felt and smelt and tasted and watched as each of them was burned alive, suffocated, driven to suicide, had everything taken from them as they screamed for help from deities that were likely too afraid themselves to do anything. The voices overlapped, crashing against Poeth's consciousness, breaking it open like a rotten piece of fruit and scorching away everything he'd used to think was important about himself or about the universe or about anything. As the feeble light of his own mind faded, he heard the voices of the flame beasts themselves rise above the rest. They spoke in many languages, yet all with one thunderous voice. Toate lucruril arv, alav sacer brina, yel twist swift train, desuari gorijo, zonke zito ziashisa, omnia ure, modem gosem tata, superte no modo gaboeru, gitiedore shara. All things burn. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. The Machine of the Flame Beast was written by Daniel Lauren Keating, narrated by Persephone Rose, edited by Carl Hughes, and muted by Chris Zabriskie and Sam Robson, and sound effects provided by zapsblatt.com. Daniel Lauren Keating is a writer, editor, and musician. You can check out more of his work at daniellaurenkeating.wordpress.com. And as always, be sure to check out Persephone Rose on the Emperor Pigs podcast. Lastly, I have to tell you again... We have a new admin. All hail admin Joshua Boucher. He's been a listener of the other stories for, well, since the beginning of time, and he's now taken over as admin of the Hawk and Readers Book Club. So join me in welcoming Joshua to the TOS Towers, helping us to make cool stuff and to talk about cool stuff. And, as I mentioned at the top of the show, his first act of acting admin, Joshua Boucher, has chosen to launch a nuclear strike on the moon. So if you look up, you may see some bright lights in the sky, but if you look down at your computer, you may see his second act of admin, where he's launched a vote for our September book reads. So if you'd like to join an easy reading book club and read the best genre fiction this side of an exploding moon, then come to the Facebook group today and introduce yourselves at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hawk and cleaver. Once again, that's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hawk and cleaver. We look forward to seeing you there. Until next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.